June 27th, 2022. Let's begin the last chapter, the final pedic in Masechet Sanhedrin. It begins on the Fsadi Amudalaf here at the bottom, about 10, 12 lines from the bottom of the page. And this last pedic uh, is really organized as such, as the last one, specifically in the organization of the Gemara. If you were to open up to a Seder Mishnayot, for example, if you ever learned Mishnayot, this Perik is not the 11th chapter, it's rather the 10th chapter. For one reason or another, that's the way the tradition had it. It was organized as such. Rashi explains the reason this is here is the last Perik in Masechet Sanhedrin, in the Gemara format, is very purposeful. Says, says Rashi, at the very, very onset, right here, Rashi writes that initially, what Masechet Sanhedrin dealt with was the initial stages were describing how the Betin and Sanhedrin functioned. Then it described the Arba Mitot Betin. We spent a lot of time developing, discussing, arguing, and debating all those Arba Mitot Betin, the way a person might be put to death or judged to death in this world. The last Perik then, says Rashi, is going to deal with Olam Haba. Well, once you're finished with this world, either it worked out, didn't work out so well, regardless, it's now time to focus not on death penalty, but on what quote unquote takes place after death. That all being the case, it's a tall tale, it's quite a task to fulfill that we're going to actually describe Olam Haba, Tehiyat Ametim, and Yemot HaMashiach. But if there's anywhere to look and to search in Gemara and Mishnah, it's this Perik. Uh, it's not to say this pedic will deliver the answers and explanations we're so yearning, but it will nonetheless, uh, at the very least, touch and uh, give us a glimpse of the tip of the iceberg. Uh, that being the case, the pedic begins, the Mishnah begins, Kol Yisrael, yesh lahem chelek la'olam haba, shene'emar, ve'amech kudam sadikim le'olam, yirishu ares neser mata'ay ma'asei aday lehit ba'er. That's the first statement here in the Mishnah. The Mishnah begins with this, Bold statement, Kol Yisrael, all of Yisrael, all members of Am Yisrael, Yesh lahem chelek la'olam haba, have a portion, uh, derive a part in olam haba. What is olam haba? It's the Mishnah is assuming you know what it is. Uh, the Gemara will never fully develop and describe what it is. Gemara Masechet Berachot has this description of after death, there's what's called olam haneshamot. There'll be some sort of existence without body, just soul or mind, as Harambam would have it. It describes how sadikim or yoshivim, instead of eating and drinking, they're nehenim miziva shechina. They're in some way or another basking and enjoying the ziv, the splendor of the shechina, the presence of God. And they have their crowns, which Harambam understands their perception, their cognition, the way they've achieved in this world. That's Olam Haba. In fact, Harambam, in quoting this Mishnah, in Perik Chetav Ilchot Harambam has this Mishnah as referring to that Olam Haba, that existence of after death without body. Alternatively, and we'll bring one or two Re'ayot, uh, evidences along these lines. Yad Ramar bimeir Abu Lafia, one of the great Spanish, we've quoted him on several occasions, commentators certainly to Masechet Sanhedrin. He suggests this Olam Haba is what we would colloquially refer to, and the Mishnah will talk about this concept afterwards. Tehiyata Metim. Tehiyata Metim is a reference to in this world. Instead of outside of this world without a body, it's in this world. After death, some sort of promise, some sort of fulfillment of you'll come back to life with your body and live in this world. Either way you slice it, that's what the first words in the Mishnah are describing, this Olam Haba. 
it's very much appropriate, philosophically speaking, for Rambam to claim as he does, and even for Rabbi Meir Abu Lafia to claim alternatively in his approach, because for Rambam, our existence as human beings, I'm really in a nutshell describing to you a fundamental facet of his philosophy, our existence as human beings for all intents and purposes is to get past the physical side, which means to say we have our physical drives, our desires, our olam hagashmi. If you want to truly achieve as a human being, get past all that. Be able to transcend. Nivuah for Harambam. Prophecy is the ability to tap into the intellect, into the absolute. Uh, instead of being, a, oh, I thought that was your phone. Instead, it was. No. Instead of envisioning life as one in which there's physicality, which is somehow intermingled with the spiritual and intellectual for Harambam, it's all about achieving beyond the physicality. As a result, it's very appropriate. He'll read this Mishnah as Adam Haba. Well, that's what we're striving for. That's what we're seeking. It's uh, along the lines of his philosophy throughout. Yad Rama. Alternatively, it's a little bit of perhaps a more realistic perception and understanding for us, maybe not, maybe yes, his understanding seems to be, and there's a long and storied history in Jewish tradition along these lines, that instead of envisioning our body as something that we seek to overcome, it's that we seek to instill within it a certain, certain meaning, which means this, and certainly the Mekubalim are filled with this sort of understanding of being mitakin our goof, being able to find in any and every physical uh, aspect and characteristic of existence. As a result, to envision, quote unquote, the ultimate of some sort is to envision life, quote unquote, in the regular fashion, while at the same time uninhibited. It's in this tahiyatametim when I'm no longer inhibited by those detriments and difficulties of regular existence. Either way you slice it, we'll have to deal with those two opinions as to how to define olam haba in this initial line. What's the proof, quote unquote, that kol Yisrael yesh lahim chilek la'olam haba? It's a pasuk, which is not in the Torah, but is in the Navi, it's in Yeshaya. We'll get to the Pasuk in a moment. There is a well-known diuk in this Mishnah, and the words are, Kol Yisrael la'olam haba. Perhaps, perhaps, grammatically, it should have read, Kol Yisrael ba'olam haba. In other words, if this is an existent realm, so I should say, you have a portion in this existent realm, in ba'olam haba. Instead, the Mishnah says, la'olam haba, to that realm, to that domain, to whatever that existence is. Why la'olam haba? There are many different inter- interpretations. Oh, one of my favorite always was, in Sha'ar Aleph, Perik Yod Bet, of Nefesh HaChayim, Rabbi Chaim of Olajan, suggests that contrary, and in contrast to perhaps the regular understanding of olam haba, it's kind of this place, as the Gemara seems to describe, quote-unquote place, where there's Sadiqim, Ba'atrotehim, Berashem, and so on and so forth. It's kind of nestled away and existent. No, you have to create it. means there's a direction. You are crafting through your actions, through your, uh, your achievements in this world, that olam haba. So to speak, it's a personalized existence, which without that effort, well, yeah, you have some sort of halak to something, but what is it? So we're striving toward. La'olam haba is a direction instead of a description of something that already exists. Of course, there are different interpretations, whether that matches perfectly grammatically or not is to be determined. What's the pasuk Yeshaya, Your nation, they're all righteous. They will eternally inherit aretz. That's an interesting description of olam haba. It's aretz. 
Now, according to Yad Rama, that reads very beautifully. Aretz means this Aretz. No, we might have to distinguish. We'll have plenty of time to discuss and to realize we don't actually understand and so on and so forth. But yes, that's right. But in this world, for Harambam, Harambam Peregimal of needs to qualify. Harambam's Aretz is a little bit more difficult over here. Why describe an altogether different reality where there is no physicality as Aretz? But Harambam says if it's an Olam, which has uh, it's some sort of eternality, some sort of eternity in this context. It's obviously referring to a different audit. It's already for Harambam a difficulty in attributing this statement to the actual quote unquote Ulam Haba in his eyes. The conclusion of that passage is a description of us as Neser Mata'ai. We are the craftsmanship, Milashon Yesira, of God, Mata'ai, who were implanted, Ma'ase God says about us that we are his craftsmen, his handiwork, Lihit Ba'er, in order to derive from us some sort of pe'er, glory, some sort of pleasure, and so on and so forth. All, of course, difficult to attribute to God, but we do it to the best of our understandings. That being the case, however, the, the proof is uh, that we are Kulam Sadiqim, statement is we're all Sadiqim. And there's a reference to Yerushat uh, Ha'aretz Le'olam, inheritance for eternity. That's a reference in the eyes of the Chachamim in this Mishnah to this Olam Haba. Why is it that we know nothing about Olam Haba? Why is it that my warning at the beginning of this Perek needs to be to you that if you think you're going to actually understand it, quote unquote, now you have something coming to you? Couldn't God have made it more simple for us? Couldn't He in Torah Shabbat given us a simple reference to it. The Gemara will struggle for references to even Tahiyat Metim. Couldn't we have some sort of manual describing to us what it will be like, what we need in order to achieve and so forth? So of course there's so many different answers, but I'll just prefer one or two to you uh, right now. Ramchal famously in Da'atib, not in Derech Hashem, he stresses and elsewhere stresses that in order to have true freedom of choice, in order to have true Bechira Chofshit, well then you can't have revealed everything to you. If it's all revealed to you. If I said you walk straight to me, and if you do, and I show you everyone who walked before me gets this reward, it's not much of a challenge for you to trust me and walk toward me. Bechira, by definition, means there's a certain hester, and as a result, if God wants us to actually achieve, if God, for one reason or another, is purposed for human beings coming to a shalem state of being in this existence, there has to be a certain hester. There can't be a revelation of his essence, nor of quote-unquote reward or existence that comes after. Uh, that's one approach. Alternatively, I've talked about this on more than one occasion as well, it's a little bit more relevant with regards to our relationships with one another, certainly with our spouses. When everything is revealed the, without a mystique, there's less passion, there's less excitement. When I know what's coming, well, then I'm, I'm less excited to go after it. Uh, we know it from stories in the Torah, we know it from real life experiences where someone finds out something about a person they were yearning for, they were learning, they were longing for. Uh, you know, you could think, and once it's all exposed, once they actually, uh, we know it from relationships with, with, with tragic circumstances where a relationship becomes stale. Why did it become stale? It became stale because I knew everything. There was nothing more to discover. Life became boring. As a result, if all were to be revealed, this is both with regards to God's essence and certainly with regards to these hidden aspects of life, 
we would lose a lot of that passion, that desire, that excitement. The relationship would become one which was static and kind of mechanical. It's for that reason, at least in my mind as well, is a matter which is not really addressed and never fully revealed. All right, that's the statement of the Mishnah. Then the Mishnah says, now that I told you everyone has and Yeshle Daye carefully in the words a portion. It doesn't say that we're zochel la'olam haba. It says you have a portion in olam haba. Uh, long ago, eight, nine years ago, I talked about that on a Shabbat morning here, and it was an uproar. Another occasion, another time, I'll tell you the story. But that was the, the conversation. Is there a difference between helek and olam haba? To be zochel la'olam haba. It's an important conversation to be had. If you read Harambam's words in Hechot Teshubah and elsewhere, he's very careful in describing these. Because, for example, it only talks about Yisrael. We'll have no mention except for one on the side of non-Jews. Is this whatever we're referring to with olam haba? Is this only for Yisrael? Or is the helek only for Yisrael? Israel. All right, we'll return to that hopefully at some point. But the Mishnah says, don't get ahead of yourself. Don't believe for a moment that life, therefore, is just uh, ushering you into whatever this Olam Haba is, because if you mess it up, if you drop the ball, well, you're not going to have that Chalik La'olam Haba. Ve'elu, she'en la'im Chalik La'olam Haba. The following are those who won't achieve Olam Haba. Harambam in his Perusha Mishnayot has an introduction, a very famous introduction, it's called Haktamal Perik Chelek. And in it, he details for the first time his 13 uh, principles of faith, his 13 Ikare or Yesodot Emunah. And uh, therein, what he seems to be describing, there's a this debate among scholars how to interpret this, what he seems to describe these words as, de, as, as defining is, who is Yisrael? Do you understand? The following don't have a Chelek why not? You just told me. You quoted a pasuk. Ah, maybe I was. I'm convinced by it. The following don't achieve, quote unquote, Yisrael. Had you not achieved Yisrael, well, you didn't live up to, or you didn't accept, or you didn't uh, achieve in life one of several for Harambam, 13 specific mandates of understanding, knowledge, and acceptance. So that's how he reads these next words. And we'll have plenty of time to discuss and develop Harambam's Ikarim over the course of our discussions here. Says the, says the Mishnah, who are those people? Ha'omer, the first one, in tehiyat ha-metim min ha-Torah. Person who says tehiyat ametim, which keep in mind, according to Yad Rama, is equivalent with olam haba in context of our Mishnah. A person who says there's no tehiyat ametim, but wait, it doesn't just say it doesn't. Say, he says there's no tehiyat ametim. He says there's no tehiyat ametim min haTorah. Rashi has a diuk in this context. As Rashi, if a person says, listen, philosophically, logically, it makes sense for one reason or another. I can buy thee, if there was, and there might be, the argument in a philosophical realm that there will be a resurrection of the dead. I can accept that. But in the Bible, in the Mishnah, in the Hamishah Humshet Torah, Nevim and Ketubim, you're not going to find any reference to that. I won't accept it. Says Rashi, that person, needs to be that he says, I accept it, Minha Torah, not to say that it's explicit in the Torah. The Gemara will spend plenty of time, and you'll understand, there's no explicit reference to any of this in the Torah. However, the fact that you're not willing to engage in uh, moving the text and understanding it in a fashion in which it, it develops and embraces this thought and haba is a fascinating and very severe statement of Rashi. Harambam in Perikimal Vilchotishba Halachahe has no reference to Minha Torah. Harambam just has a person who doesn't accept the existence of Tehiyata Metim. 
Well, why should this be? I mean, so severe. The Gemara and its initial lines will say, it's midah keneged midah. So to speak, you don't accept that this is a reality, so then it won't be a reality for you. It touches on two of the points we made earlier. First and foremost, it's a support for Yad Ramah. What's the midah keneged midah? You don't have a helik la blank because you don't accept tahiyat ha-metim. Well, if it's a midah keneged midah, it's you don't have a helik to tahiyat ha-metim. That's the best proof for Yad Ramah in interpreting this Mishnah. Furthermore, well, what is that midah keneged midah? The way I understand it is nefesh ha-hayim, which I mentioned to you earlier. If you're crafting this existence, whatever this existence is about, but you never accepted the entity. So how were you crafting it? Were you really crafting it? You have to be in some way purposefully crafting some sort of understanding, some sort of reality within your life at some point or another. Well, if you're not, well, Midah is almost a reality and less a punishment. Right, and it says to the Mishnah again, the next line, that's a very important one, will need to be discussed further. It's, uh, by the way, in that context, there's different noshaot in this Mishnah, because according to Rashi, it's that's how we have it. Alternatively, uh, if you look in Toseftah, for example, there's no word min ha-Torah, as I told you, Hanambam has it. It's because it got mixed up, so to speak, from ve'en Torah min ha-Shamayim, right? In other words, the word wasn't over there. All right, either way, you slice it. We have Arashi, we have Hanambam. En Torah min ha-Shamayim, what do those words mean? It means that the Torah is not from the heavens. How do you define what it means from the heavens? Uh, where did it come from? It means that you're claiming a human being uh, wrote it. What if a person, for argument's sake, said or believes that it is heaven sent, it's just not from Moshe? Well, the Mishnah doesn't tell us anything in that respect. One of the Ikarim of Harambam, which we'll have to discuss, seems to address that, seems to be listing that as one of these individuals as well. Uh, the hard part about that is there's an opinion in the Tanaim that the last eight Pesukim in the Torah were not written by Moshe. You'll have to address that, you'll have to deal with that. To understand what it means, Torah min HaShamayim as well, is a very important debate, as this is to a certain and to a large extent what, what, what we discuss on a consistent basis. Are we learning? Are we studying the words of God? Are we studying something else? And the Mishnah is already making clear, again, to define what that means, we'll need the Gemara, we'll need, need commentary. Mm, it's a good question. It's a good question. The Mishnah doesn't make clear one way or another. The Mishnah doesn't make clear one way or another. We'll have to accept for now just Torah. Uh, the next line in the Mishnah, the next word is ve'epikoros. What's an epikoros? The Mishnah never tells us. I said, all right, I'll get there. Give me a second. So the Mishnah doesn't tell us who it is, though. The Gemara will define it later on. We'll have to learn a few dapim in order to get to the definition. What's the name even? Harambam, always clever as he is, says that it's milashon hefker. Hefker means it's a person who sees matters as ownerless. So to speak, his approach to Torah, to life, is one in which it's all just chaos. There's no, there's no rightful order and, and ownership over this. That's how he has it. Alternatively, and certainly historically, says Morris, Rashbatz, Rashbatz is a commentary in Masechet Avot, Magen Avot, in Perik Bet, Mishnah Yodalit, he suggests that Epikoros is from Epicurean or Epicurious. This was an individual who was a Greek philosopher. Now there's Epicurean thought. It's, it's popular. It's ancient, but it's popular. Now what does he have to do with our Mishnah? He was, it appears, uh, to be uh, an atheist. As a result, we bundled into anyone who was an atheist or any wrongful approaches to Torah. Ah, he's an Epicurean. It's just a way of referring to it. Harambam is clever with it. And he says, by the way, you know what you hear in this as well? You hear Hefker as well. I will deal with that. Rabbi Akiva Omer, 
אף הקורא בספרים החיסוניים. ובעקיבה adds to the list the person who reads uh, the external books. שמה ישראל, I don't know, but I might be in a lot of trouble here. What are ספרים חיסוניים? says Rashi Mefaresh Bagemara. We have a little bit of time to figure this one out. Harambam famously leaves this completely out. He never, he never addresses this. Well, why, why are you leaving it out? I mean, it's in the Mishnah. It's an important opinion. I say, you'll say, oh, he's just defending himself. No, come on, come on. He can't defend that because he learned plenty of philosophy and quote-unquote matters outside of the Torah. The, the best approach that I know to Harambam on that matter is Rabbi Hanun Wasim and his Kobitz Shiurim. He suggests that there's no Isur per se in the Kiriah. No, you're not getting all Amhabad defined accordingly because you read those books. If you read the books and you accepted them and you made it part of your lifestyle to read them, or maybe there's an inherent danger, whatever books we're dealing with, we haven't defined that in the Mishnah, but whatever those books are, there's an inherent Isur, or, or forget about Isur, there's an inherent reality where you lost all Amhabad because you read them, or alternatively because you embraced them and they led you askew, and as a result, for one reason or another, says Harambam, it's not the Kiriyah, it's the acceptance of wrongful thoughts. That's what we're talking about throughout. All right. Vahalohesh al hamaka veomer kolamahala shesamti bimsraim doasim alecha ki ani adonai rof echa. Uh, the Pasuk says, uh, moving backwards, Pasuk says that all the afflictions which I placed upon the Egyptians, I'll never place upon you because I am God, your healer, the one who gives you cure. That's the Pasuk. What does it have to do with our Mishnah? A person who's lohesh al a person who sees an illness, uh, an ailment, uh, a, a bruise, a wound, and begins muttering, pesukim, begins being lohesh, maybe he's whispering them, in order to achieve... Uh, um, therapeutic uh, healing in order to heal this circumstance. He quotes a pasuk. It's a beautiful pasuk. Pasuk says, God is our healer. What's wrong with that? It's almost as if a doctor wrote this one. Uh, so don't quote that because you need to come to me. All right, what's wrong with that pasuk? Harambam in qualifies this as following. Says Harambam, it's in such a circumstance, you're reading the Torah and you're assuming that the Torah is a mechanism, that the Torah is a potion, that the Torah is a, some potion, some sort of um, uh, herb which uh, physically will change you. Not what the Torah meant, not what the Torah means. Torah is supposed to be a spiritual guidebook. It's supposed to lead you to a wholesome existence in your relationship to the world and to God and with yourself. As a result, if you read this pasuk in quote, the most coarse, topical, artificial way, <laughs> You see, God should heal this because I read this pasuk. You're misunderstanding. You're using the Torah as an instrument in a completely and an in a completely inappropriate fashion. You're assuming that Torah now, in such a artificial way, just heals. As Harambam, that's Of course, it raises into question. What would Harambam say about people who read Tehillim? This pasuk is only one Tehillim. Now, if the uh, assumption is that this is Harambam, this is not all. If the assumption is through my reading, my muttering, my chanting of Tehillim, it will achieve a, a remedy, Harambam would include it. He certainly would. He makes it almost explicit. If alternatively, it's a mechanism for prayer, if it's a way in which I pray to God, and I got the words from David, from anyone and everyone else who's in the Mizmoreti Tehillim, 
I said, that's what's permitted. I'm seeking a gateway. I'm seeking a, a, a direction. It's not that I'm using it as my therapy. I'm not that I'm using it as my medicine. I'm using it as a method of developing a relationship. Harambam, as a matter of fact, right there in Hilchot Avodah suggests if you're reading Tehillim or you're reading Pesukim throughout your life in such a fashion, quote-unquote, as your exercise to keep you connected, that's fully permitted. That's beautiful. Harambam's only issue with it it's along the same lines, along the same lines of Harambam's issue with accepting money for Torah. Harambam has it in the Mishnah Masechet Avot of not making Torah kordom lachporbo and an ataralit gadel. You're not using Torah as a mechanism toward achieving something else. It has to be an essence. It has to be something which informs you and your relationship with him. If it's anything else, well, you're minimizing. You're really limiting it. As a result, you really have a skewed and wrongful understanding of it. Abba Shaul adds one on. He says, Hoge means to utter, means to pronounce. Et Hashem, the name, with its letters. What's that a reference to? Uh, never clear exactly what that's a reference to. There's a debate how to refer, how to explain this. Rashi later on in Dafkof Aleph suggests this is a reference to the 42-letter name of God, which was to only be used in the Mikdash, and you use it outside of the Mikdash. So you very much practically formalize that. What's the 42-letter name? Of course, nobody knows, you know, it's one of these hidden names. Uh, there's a well-known Kabbalistic tradition from Ibn Hunyab and Hakana, at least that's the way they quote it, that it's the first letters in the Mizbor of Anna Bekoach, Anna Bekoach, Kidulat, and so on and so forth. And it's for that reason, in fact, traditionally, we always say Baruch Shem after we mention that Mizmor in the Tefillah. Why do we mention? Because you just mentioned the eyes of the Mikubalim, the name, the, the special 42-letter name of God. Rabbeinu Tam, alternatively, elsewhere, Masechet Abdazara, I think, Andafiot Het, he suggests it's somehow moving the letters or dealing with the letters of the first two pesukim in the Torah. Very different realities. All right, but that's if you understand this. That's one of the Shemot HaMefurashim. There's also a 72 Rashi talks about a Masechet Sukkah. There's always a question, how much Kabbalah, how much Jewish mysticism was Rashi involved in? We only have one or two references at all to any of this sort of stuff. Be mindful to the fact over here, it's very much not Kabbalistically interpreting this. He says, you said the Shem, which was in the Mikdash, Perik Vav of Masechet Yomad describes Anabashem and so on and so forth. We do it on Kippur. When they heard the Shem HaMefurash, there was a Shem HaMefurash. Rashi just says, it's not that you're wrongfully, you used it outside of the Mikdash. It's very practical in that respect. Alternatively, and so I've, I've, always, I've always identified with this because I think there's a way of life that's to be understood from this. The Gemara in Masechet Pesachim and Dafnun is Doresh the Pasuk that God says to Moshe, Zeshemi le'olam vezezichri dor dor. Right. So it says, says the Midrash, says the Gemara over there, look, look something along these lines, look not the same way that I'm written and I read. It's just a Yod Ke Vav Ke. Don't read my name as Yod Ke Vav Ke, reading that out. Rather read it as Aleph Dalet Non Yod. That's, that's the statement in the Gemara. And of course, it's a dirash. That's a beautiful dirash. on the word le'olam. Le'olam, and it's written haser. Le'ha'alim means to disappear, to make something hidden. Oh, what sort of statement? That, that, that in turn might be the interpretation. If you just read God's name as yod ke vav ke, and you pronounce it, instead of saying alef dalet non yod, af, and the chalaklam, are you serious? Wait, is Brings... this, like, what is this? Did you say that? What? Right. Jeho- 
along those lines, I suppose, it's not really the way we pronounce it, but yeah, I don't think you lost your olam haba. And I don't think this is a reference to one-time thing. I think it's a mindset and it's an approach. What do I mean by that? It brings us back to the conversation of concealment and revelation. The question is, God, in our relationship with him, how exposed is he supposed to be? Heke, you could just pronounce his name as it is, or do we say Hashem, or do we refer to it while looking at those words with Aleph, Dalit, Non, Yod? By definition, it's a message with regards to our relationship with him. It's beyond that, a message with regards to how we carry our names. I talked about this in, uh, on Shabbat morning a few weeks ago in the context of Dirkat Kohanim, which Shem? We never know. It was Shema Meforash, says Rashi. What was it? Even in the Mikdash, they would kind of try to hide it. Why so? Because to understand what it means to achieve a name means to understand that I don't pronounce my name. I let my actions and my essence speak my name. It's so too with God. Don't even mention my name. Let me be who I am. You won't even need to refer to me with my name. Rabbi Salavechka on many occasions talked about this. My favorite example he brought for this was Ansheh Knesset HaGedola. Ansheh Knesset HaGedola were those who established... The Gemara says it in two places. All of our Berachot, all of our Tefilot, so many of our traditions, we're talking about the second Beit HaMikdash time period, these are the people, the Gemara says, they restored the, the, the relationship of Am Yisrael to God. This is quite an assembly of men. Who were they? We know one, Shimon HaSadiq. Are you serious? I know 10 rabbis who live within a five block radius of here. And I don't know any of them. I know one name because he got thrown in in the Mishnah in Masechet Havot, Mishire, Knesset HaGedola, the beginning of Masechet Havot. You don't know their name? That's right. That's the essence. That's what it means to establish and to achieve a name. To achieve a name means your name itself is not being uttered. But what you did, your legacy, that's what it's all about. That in turn is my understanding of this uh, severity of HaHoget Hashem Be'otiyotav. You spoke even if it's don't just refer to me as such understand that to achieve a name even my own there needs to be a certain concealment there's an appropriate approach in such a fashion okay the Mishnah now concludes by saying I'll give you a few examples of those who in our history and their history, one of them, did not in the eyes of the rabbis achieve Olam Habad do they have absolute um, Proof for this? They don't. Will they give an absolute explanation for these? They won't. But let's read them and understand them as much as we can. Three kings and four non-kings. Simpletons don't achieve this or did not achieve this Who were they? Of course, we're going to have the, the top three rotten ones. Yiravam. Ravan ben Navat was quite an individual. He was the king over 10 of the tribes during the time that Rehavam, the son of Shilomo, was over the other two. And he was what the rabbis referred to as a hote umahati. He wasn't only sinning, he was forcefully causing others to sin. We see him very in a very rotten fashion. What's that? We didn't mention that. That's right. The Mishnah, as I said, is cryptic as to why in Lahayelech. It's as if, by the way, more than just what I mentioned to you is along these lines. And as a result, 13 principles of faith. I didn't count 13 over here. Haram Bam expands it as well. Maybe he finds it hidden in these words, but not clear. Not, not, not clear. Yiravam. Ahav, we talked about just a few weeks ago in the Gemara. Ahav, of course, is the king during the time period of Eliyahu Hanavi. Not a good guy. His wife as well. He's evil. We don't like them very much. Menashe, Melchi Horrible, terrible, perhaps the worst of the list. All right, so we got... 
three horrible kings. Not that we had so many wonderful ones, but these were the bottom three. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Menashe yesh lo chelak la'olam haba she'ne'emar, va'yitpalel elav ha'yishmat ha'chinnato, va'yishivehu Yerushalayim l'malchuto. Amru lo l'malchuto he'shivov, lo l'chayel olam haba. The counterclaim of Rabbi Yehuda is, Menashe, for some reason, didn't lose olam haba, because he prayed to God, and the Pasuk says, God restored him to his kingship. So as says Rabbi Yehuda, you see, God restored him. The rabbis in turn respond to him, so one second, Rabbi Yehuda, it says he restored him to his kingship. That's right, he achieved his monarchy, he continued being king. Doesn't mean that he achieved whatever this olam haba is. Uh, so again, he was restored to his kingship. I should just mention very briefly in this context, there is a debate, and it's an important one, but it's, it's somewhat easily uh, resolved. Whatever this olam haba is, and whatever it means, that is that an absolute? Does that mean there's no way of redeeming? And the general approach is that's not so. In other words, teshubah, there is the concept of repentance. We're referring here to individuals who didn't undergo that repentance. It's not to say you closed it and it can't be opened any longer. That's, that seems clear from several Gemarot. Lastly, says the Mishnah, Arba'ahed Yotot, who were the four non-kings who, En lahem chelek la'olam haba, Bil'am. First one being Bil'am, which is interesting because we weren't talking about non-Jews at any point. Why all of a sudden we're referring to Bil'am? Okay, Bil'am, maybe we have a, he's, he's, he's premiered in our Torah. Maybe you would have thought he's different. Bil'am is out. Do'eg, uh, Do'eg we know as well. Doeg was uh, an individual who was the Yoetz, he, uh, he, he helped out with Shaul, and when uh, Nov, the Ir HaKohanim, helped out David, uh, Doeg came ahead and slaughtered all of them. Doeg is not a, a very uh, a positive individual, not a king, but a helper of Shaul, did terrible things. Ahitofel, Ahitofel was the advisor of David, he teams up with Avshalom in the rebellion against him, does a lot of rotten things as well. And Gehazi, lastly, is the individual who helps Elisha, who uh, we have not such pleasant things to read about and understand what he did as well. Those four, in addition to the three kings, in Amen, Amen.